thank you so much for going to iTunes, rating it five stars, for leaving a comment. It, it means so much to me. It helps to keep me going, to keep us going. And also thank you for sharing the episodes. It's, it's, that, uh, it, it just shows that uh, you know the reach is growing. There are more people who are willing to talk about it. And, uh, and it really helps to destigmatize uh, the shame around talking about mental health and suicidality. So, so thank you for sharing it. Thank you for rating it five stars. Thank you for leaving comments. All those are things that, that keep it going and, and help us to reach more and more people uh, who otherwise are uh, struggling with mental health. Uh, also, you know, I have a few slots left. If you go to thrivewithleo.com, you can get one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Uh, you know, when I was nine, I told my mom when I t- turned 40, I was going to end my life. Uh, and I even called the 800 suicide number twice. And today I'm 44 and I'm celebrating my birthday in Peru. And I've, I've just learned how to thrive. And and every day is different. It's still a day-by-day day struggling with mental pain and feelings of uh, loneliness and uh, being a burden uh, and overwhelm. But I've learned coping skills and, and, and self-soothing techniques that I love to teach to you and personalize to you and what you're going through. So if, you, you, if you've experienced trauma, uh, feeling like you're alone or a burden, Go to thrivewithleo.com. If you're going through a transitional phase in your life, uh, whether you just got married or getting a divorce or job loss uh, or grieving, go to thrivewithleo.com. And and let's get through this together. Let's get to tomorrow together. Um, And with that said, let's get into the episode. Welcome to another episode. I don't know why I have to do that voice. Uh, welcome to another <laughs> welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself. I'm excited uh, about the guest I have. I'm super excited to have the guest I have on today. I have Derek. Now I'm going to butcher your last name. Is it De, is it Derek De Beers? De Beers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. De Beers. De Beers. It me actually. It's the Dutch name for the stock exchange. Oh, okay. The birds. Oh, the, yeah, right, was, right, was, right. Yeah, the, yeah. It was some French thing, I guess, which got the whole thing started. And in Amsterdam, we had the first stock exchange. Um, but it, 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 I don't know why we have that last name because there's no financial miracles in our family happening or anything like that. So <laughs> I think it's way, way our grand, 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 grandfathers, <laughs> or wishful, wishful thinking. <laughs> well. You know, uh, I'm excited to have you on. Wait, did you say Amsterdam had the first stock market exchange? Yeah, yeah. With uh, we had the the VOC, which was the um, where we started this brutal uh, um, imperial <laughs> um, world uh, thing we had. So there's one time I think in the 17th century where Amsterdam was the the, the heart of the world with uh, all the trading and um, um, also, of course, the slavery uh, then came up. Uh, And then they started the first uh, stocks exchange uh, in response to how they wanted to organize this whole organization. So it was was not state-owned, but it was owned by individuals. Then you could buy shares, and that started the stock exchange. 
Wow. I see, but a little history lesson. I, that's that's yeah. what I'm here <laughs> for. I'm here for all the history. I don't know why I know that, but it's here. Um, I, I'm excited to have you on because you just wrote a book uh, called "The Myths of Suicide," uh, and yes. how do you say it in 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 Dutch? Mieten over zelfmoord. Uh, see, that sounds a lot. Uh, Mieten over. S- s- say the last part again. Zelfmoord. Zelfmoord. Yeah. Close. And that's and then there's also a lot of controversy about that word usage of that word actually in the Netherlands, or there's some discussion about that because it has murder in it, so it's self murder, um, and and uh, which is the, the name everybody actually uses in the Netherlands, also in prevention, but especially uh, people who are bereaved uh, by suicide, um, they 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 don't like the word because it has a negative connotation. So they they prefer self murder over there. No, they Wait, prefer um, uh, self-killing. So self-doting, oh. which is more like uh, a death of yourself instead of the murdering of yourself. Wow. Uh, here, it's, uh, I think, the, 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 well, the preference here is uh, uh, end your life. Um, okay. For yeah. Over, yeah. Uh, suicide is acceptable, but, uh, but uh, to say yeah. someone ended their life uh, yeah. it seems to be. So yeah, it's, I never thought about how you know the language uh, is it would be different uh, in, in yeah. different places. Of course, I also find it difficult when I give talks like or, or we have discussions in English, which is not my native language, that I don't feel the nuances. And then it's sometimes you just uh, because you're not a native, you miss this uh, this painful detail sometimes. And then you might say something which could be offensive to somebody uh, because you said a suicide attempter. The people. Uh, um, don't want you to say that anymore. They want to say somebody who died by suicide or did a suicide attempt. Right, right. Um, but not being native, you sometimes just forget it. Or you, you, yeah, already have difficulty finding the right words. Yeah, well, that's uh, it's it's interesting how this works. Well, well, myself and my listeners will be, you know, very forgiving. We understand, uh, you know, the, the cultural differences, and, uh, and so. If you, Whatever you say, we understand the, the broader context and the intention behind it. You know, no, no one. Yeah, that's right. That's uh, good. Is is trying to say anything uh, harmful uh, intentionally? Uh, but I'm excited to have you on because uh, I'm just going to read your bio real quick. Derek is the head of epidemiology uh, at the Trimbo. Is it Trimbos? Yes, yeah, it's Trimbos. Yes, yes. Uh, the, the team continuously collects and analyzes data on mental well-being and drug use in Dutch population. This data is of importance uh, for policymakers, scientists, professionals, and patients. In 2017, Derek was granted a prestige fellowship from the Netherlands Organization for Health Research and Innovation to apply novel statistics to better understand suicidal behavior. He published extensively on suicide prevention, network analysis, implementation, and more recently, machine learning. He published a book that we already discussed, and, uh, and where he compares existing myths, I, I don't know why that's such a hard word for me to say, with current scientific evidence. Welcome, Derek. Thank you very much. Uh, so it's, let's it's, go yeah. right into it. What are these, what are the myths? <laughs> so I think that one of the most important myths, yeah, it's, it's a terrible word, myths, um, is that you should not discuss suicidal behavior. You should not start discussing it with somebody because then they will 
uh, actually get the idea of becoming suicidal. Uh, and um, when I talk to, especially to lay persons, but also to professionals, um, I found that there's a lot of um, ideas about suicidal behavior, which we throw science uh, try to uh, research, but this science doesn't come through, especially not to a, a larger audience. Um, so the myth that you should not discuss suicidal behavior is well researched. Um, and I thought it would be wise to then write a more accessible book instead of uh, uh, the more professional jargon filled books that you uh, normally uh, uh, read on this topic. Yeah, it, it's one of those things where, you know, I, I think because we have such a culture of if you talk about it or talk about anything, then you make it real and, and you make it happen. Yeah. But the, but the research uh, shows that when we do talk about uh, self-killing, uh, we, you know, we'll, we'll go with your terminology, um, that it actually can reduce it because it, it helps to destigmatize it. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I mean, it's good to be aware that people who are suicidal are quite ashamed of that as well themselves. So so uh, we found also a clinical experience that they felt relieved that they can actually discuss their suicidal thoughts. Um, it's not if they're suicidal, they're probably thinking about it for a longer time. I think you discussed it many times on your podcast as well. It's a, it's a, it's a long process. It's not something which just uh, pops up in your uh, head. It's something which people have been walking around for quite some time and then discussing it really takes off the pressure. You know, that's a great point. I don't know if I've that in, in 130 or 40 episodes. I don't know if that's ever been brought up. <laughs> I mean, it's assumed, but I think that's a strong point that uh, anyone who's talking about it has been thinking about it for quite a long time. Yes. And, yeah. and so th- that it's a good thing because then it gives you hope. We know that uh, if if we do bring it up uh, today for the first time, then uh, they're not going to do it today. It's it's uh, it takes time to uh, for someone to to actually commit it if they've been uh, uh, thinking about it. So yeah, uh, what uh, and and you know I want to go back into the and, and you talked about the shame piece too of of like. Uh, you know, so many people, when they have these thoughts, they they do feel shame and they, and they are embarrassed yeah. that they're even having these thoughts when uh, I, I, and and tell me, I, I, you know, I haven't read the book, but I, I would assume that you'd find that um, more more people often than not will at some period in their life have at least a thought or two about it um, or some or you know some people are are chronic but at, at some phase people actually consider it for different reasons yeah and there's a whole range and that's also good to realize about suicidal thoughts so i think what you just said every, that's true i think everybody will have moments where he think well uh, is life worth living is this all worthwhile and and how do i go on which is uh, uh, tr- completely normal and um uh, it's also suicidal thoughts so just thinking about um, not wanting to go on anymore are also a symptom of depression, which occur quite often, um, and suicidal behavior. So actually making the transition from thoughts to behavior, that's much rarer. So um, um, the suicidal thoughts um, are, it's good, it's good if that can be a bit like, you could really make the distinction between people who have suicidal thoughts, which is just actually 
Well, it's normal, but it's also uh, uh, part of, of depression or other diseases and really making the transition to suicidal behavior, which is the, the, the whole different um, uh, spectrum. Absolutely. Also, yeah, because, uh, you know, when you look at people who uh, are, are who have ended their life, there there is a comorbidity with depression, with anxiety, yeah. with schizophrenia, uh, chronic pain. Um, you know, you find that there's some uh, alcohol and drug abuse and childhood trauma. So there's so many things that factor into, um, you know, or just a major transition. You see a lot of police officers or uh, people like, you know, once their their identity is, quote unquote, uh, ended or they their, their transition mm-hmm. and retire, um, you see a spike in uh, uh uh, suicidality. Uh, okay, I, I didn't know that. Okay, but we do know that transition points are, are uh, risk factors for people also to become depressed or just, and also for suicidality. And um, um, the most, I think, stunning uh, risk factor is that when people have been in psychiatric uh, uh, hospitals, actually, when yes, they when when they get out, so that they are actually declared that they are that they're better, and actually when they get out, the first months are then the highest risk for uh, suicide suicidal behavior so this transition is then really tough well and 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 the and the, i think part of that is also the uh the breakup of a routine so th- that's yeah. why the yeah. the uh transitions are so tough because you know when they were institutionalized they they had a routine of what time they're going to eat and sleep and uh where they're going to go and then now they're kind of uh you know quote unquote set free and now they have yeah. to establish uh, a routine on their own, and and that's tough. Um, which is why you see a lot of teenage kids like sleeping during spring, like either they're partying or they're sleeping. It's it's one or the yeah. other because they don't yeah. know how to handle not That's having all this free time yeah <laughs> well that's what but it is interesting that you bring this up because especially you had some uh, attention for for this whole corona uh, crisis and that's i think one of the challenges which also will result in a higher level of, of suicidal behavior is just people just lose their routine um, and their security and that's also making uh, uh, people more vulnerable for these thoughts uh, when you when we can, uh, going back to the the first myth of uh, you shouldn't discuss it, uh, did you also in your book talk about how to discuss it? Yeah, th- yeah, definitely, because that was also the part of my PhD where we actually trained professionals, so psychiatrists, psychologists working in mental health care to uh, discuss suicidal behavior. And when we started my PhD, I was actually surprised that we needed to do these trainings because I thought these are the professionals who deal with it every day. But even the experienced professionals have difficulty in in, in openly discussing suicidal behavior because they often are not explicitly trained in that. And it's something you don't do often. Um, if you work in psychiatry, you do it more often, but still it's it's... Uh, you need to have some experience with that. And uh, and they're just basic sentences you can just uh, have in your repertoire, which will help you better discuss suicidal behavior. And what are those sentences? Well, those sentences are, are mainly uh, the, uh, being open in your questioning and uh, answering it in a non-judgmental way. It's like asking, uh, if you tell all this, I can imagine this must be tough for you. Do you ever think about ending your life? Which is an open uh, well, it's, it, it's, it's, it's empathetic. Uh, emp- yeah, empathic is the right words. Um, and not just saying, um, you're not thinking about uh, killing yourself, are you? 
which we actually found in some research under psychiatrists. And that's the way they sometimes do ask about suicidal behavior. And that will not give you an, an honest answer. Um, so it's it's a, a way of making contact with uh, suicidal people and actually showing that you are interested and also that you can bear um, if they are suicidal, that you can you can take that and you can uh, be able you're able to deal with that. Um, though that those are the most important things we learn uh, in these role playing uh, trainings. Wow! So to ask open ended questions, uh, to also be empathic but direct. Uh, yeah, you're asking. Yeah, well, you, because you need to have, of course, some opening. You don't bluntly go out like, "Do you ever think about killing yourself?" You need to make first a rapport and and have a good contact with them, and then you can uh, um, uh, ask about suicidality. Right, and that's something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, and then uh, to backtrack a little bit, what's yeah. the rate in? You know, I don't. I've never been in Amsterdam or in in, in that area. Uh, is it? Is the rate high there? Is it? Is it? I mean, a, a, anything above one is is too high. But um, what, what's the rate there? And then what are some of the contributing factors there in Amsterdam? So in Amsterdam, I think in in, in the Netherlands is actually internationally doing quite well. Um, we don't have the uh, very high suicidal uh, suicide rates. We always count it as. Um, um, in a hundred thousand, I actually don't know why, but we had, so it's eleven in a hundred thousand um, in um, in Amsterdam or in at least the Netherlands. Um, and we do know in cities it's a bit higher than in the, the rural uh, areas. And I actually don't know uh, in the US, but I know it's higher. I know it's it's rising every day, uh, every year as well. Um, I'll see if I can look it up on the internet. What is the um, the rate, please give it to me fast. <laughs> okay, so that's between 13, uh, 13 uh, per 100,000, um, which is then so higher than the 11 uh, per 100,000. And it's also, yes, sir. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. No, it's good to realize that this is only part of the picture. So we're all really focused on, on the, the completed suicides, but there are, there are, we just don't know how many suicide attempts there are. So because we don't register that very well, it's estimated by the WHO that it's about 20 times higher, um, the suicide attempts and suicidal thoughts are even more common. So uh, um, we know that males die more often than females from suicide. So uh, um, there's a lot of um, pain and suicidal behavior, which is not in the statistics in just the suicide number. When you said uh, there's a lot of pain and uh, behavior, can you elaborate more on that? So there, there's a lot more um, um, health uh, or uh, life loss or pleasure in our uh, quality of life. Uh, gotcha. uh, yeah, which is lost due to suicidal behavior. It's a much broader thing than only just these completed suicides, which is a, uh, uh, something very well uh, uh, to focus on. Uh, but it's also good to remember that it's the problem is actually bigger than just these numbers. Right, right. Um, and so, you know, the first myth that we covered was uh, you shouldn't that you shouldn't discuss it, and and we we were stating that you should definitely bring it up if you feel like. And then, what what's the second myth? Well, the second it's not the one I discussed in the book, but the second myth I found most intriguing is that that most people who are suicidal actually do not want to die at all. Uh, and that sounds counterintuitive. Um, and there's always the idea that suicidal people will do it anyway if they want to and you cannot stop them. But we actually find from interviews with people who survived a serious suicide attempt 
that most of the time they just wanted to escape from their thoughts and their feelings or the situation they were in. So they were entrapped. They were in a specific situation. They could see no way out. They were narrow. Uh, they had a narrow focus. And then suicide was an acceptable option they had. But they often do not want to die at all. You know, th- that's such an important um, uh, distinction because I-, I think a lot of times we uh, try to approach this with so much logic when really we're talking about uh, something that's uh, emotional and something that's feeling it and thought-based as, as you discussed. And, yeah. and so, uh, you know, but that's why psychotherapy, coaching, all these things, a uh, good support group, are so vital because it, it can kind of help peel back the layers of what's really uh, bothering you. What, what's the, what's really the source of pain here? Um, yeah. Is it that you you want to you want to end your life, or do you want to, a, a, a a different life than what you have? And I think to help someone uh, make that distinction, uh, you you could help save so many lives. I think that's absolutely true, uh, and I think this, so. That's for me actually the most important uh, myth, also for prevention perspective, because it opens a much positive, uh, more positive view uh, um, on what you actually can do uh, for suicidal people. They are very well uh, open uh, for intervention, so you can actually reach them and, um, and help them get out of this tunnel they are in, and then you can actually save lives and, and improve the quality of life. Um, uh, having these suicidal thoughts always on the back of your head must be so tiring and um, uh, um, it it doesn't lead to a fulfilled life if you keep on having these thoughts. So being more open about this and um, um, making it more accepted also as as a society in broad that you can actually discuss this uh, also with other people than professionals. I think that's, that's the important step for suicide prevention. Absolutely. Uh, and because, you know, a, a lot of the the emotions that are associated with uh, uh, self-killing is are feeling like you're alone, like like yeah. you're, you're not connected, uh, feeling hopeless. Like and, and what's interesting about hopeless and I brought this up in other uh, episodes is that it's not the feeling that things are going to get worse. It's the feeling that things won't get better. Yeah, and that's yeah. an important distinction yeah. with. Uh, hopelessness is that you just think is not going to get better. Your circumstances, your emotions, their, your world is not going to get better. That that's the that's the specific underlying emotion. Um, not that it's going to get worse. Um, that's it. Yeah. Go ahead. Did you have? No, it's interesting. No, I didn't think about that. I'm just taking it in. Yeah. Um, and then the 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 and then the other one is feeling like a burden, and especially now with this quarantine because. Uh, you know, so many people, uh, you know, money's becoming tight. Uh, they're in a tight quarters. And so to feel like you're taking up too much space or you, you feel like, uh, you know, if you have medical issues and you have someone, you know, I mean, that's especially tough on a spouse. Uh, if you if you were both, um, you know, healthy and then uh, one of you gets sick or has some type of injury where now the spouse becomes your caretaker and you could, you could start to feel like a burden uh, in that situation. So there's so yeah. many emotions and thoughts and feelings that go with this and, and it all can be handled and managed uh, when, when we discuss it or at least write it out. Have you in your research uh, also um, uh, 
discovered ways that people can deal with their thoughts and emotions on this? Well, we did some, I, I, I was not directly involved, but the team I worked in did some study on uh, even online uh, uh, tools, which you can use. So then a self-guided tool um, to deal with your rumination about your suicidal thoughts. And that's been shown to be quite effective. It's always difficult in these studies to, that's what I discuss in the book as well. Research in this field is tremendously difficult because you don't randomize people to an intervention or not. It's really difficult to say you get the intervention and you don't, and then we'll see um, uh, how your suicidality goes on because of ethics and because of you just don't do that. If you see somebody's going really bad, you intervene and you don't let the the people uh, the, the person just go on. Right. Um, but we do know that that these online interventions they offer promising ways of uh, of learning about your suicidal thoughts um, and uh, giving you some some coping tools to deal with that. Uh, um, and especially now, if the if the face to face treatment is uh, more difficult. We have to rely more on, on uh, online tools and uh, um, like uh, Zoom to, to have therapy as well and also communities to discuss your suicidal behavior. Yeah, my, my girlfriend and I, uh, we have just started online couples therapy. No. Oh. And not that we... Like there's a like we need it, need it. Like oh, oh, like, for, oh I'm sorry, wrong? I thought you were going. I thought you were giving it yourself. Oh, oh, so that's no, no, cool. But it's no, that's no, no, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We uh, well, I, well, I mean, I do, I do coaching. Uh, yeah, that's but why. That's me, why I thought it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, me and my girlfriend, we we were just like, you know, what, while we're quarantined, and you know, we just started dating in October, and uh, and so yeah. I know, <laughs> and we're that's, a, that's fast <laughs> to be to be in quarantine already. <laughs> <laughs> I like, but it could be worse. I just yeah. started this new job a month ago. I, I have a team of nine people. I just met <laughs> five times. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, right, right. Also, so trying to lead yeah. and build rapport. Uh, yeah, that's people, that's, that's something. Jeez, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <yeah>. And uh, but what I found is, and you know, I've never done the online couples therapy before, but I. I found like it feels like she's right here in a room. I actually feel okay. Okay. Yeah. That's good. Um, more connected because you, you can't like when you're in an office, you know, I've been a couple like live couples therapy sessions when you're in an office, you can kind of tune out a little bit sometimes like your eyes can wander. You can, <laughs> you can look at the books on the shelf, blah, blah, blah. But you know, when you're online and, and, you have to be engaged like there yeah. is no because everything uh, is magnified. So I find yeah. I'm actually more keyed in in that hour than I would be uh, in the office. No, that's interesting. That's good. Um, and yeah, so you said there's some online. Uh, d can you name any of those? Well, the thing is that it's actually been tested also in Australia, um, um, but I think there's a lot of material available also from, you've got the International Association for Suicide Prevention, and they link to all country interventions. So I, I normally know that the Dutch um, uh, interventions, and I know this has been translated at least, and it's been tested in Australia. Um, so I don't know the American uh, equivalent by heart, but if you go to the IS West website, the International Association for Suicide Prevention, uh, then you can definitely find uh, some of these tools. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Um, so we, we've covered that the first myth is you shouldn't discuss it. And, uh, and then the second myth is um, uh, you do not, uh, that, that, that they, that the second myth is um, that, they, that they actually want to die, but they, they don't want to die at all. 
And then what's our yeah. third myth? Uh, I guess in this context, which is I, I actually discussed it in uh, as last in the book, uh, but I think now it's quite relevant. Is that um, it's not a myth, but so I have this, it, it, but it's actually true. It's that that the recession causes the suicide rates to rise, um, and that was based on the econom uh, economic recession. Um, and I was trying because people always keep asking these things from. Does the, 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 the recession actually result in uh, increase in suicides? And then I looked up the research, and actually we can say with quite some certainty, which we don't normally have, but that indeed, uh, at least in Western countries, uh, Western stable countries, which have a, a high quality of life, if then an, an economic uh, disaster happens, uh, then you see um, um, in every country uh, almost in the Western world a rise in suicides. And if you translate that to the current crisis, then it's quite likely, I don't like to uh, uh, um, to be too much of a doom scenario, but then that the suicides w would rise now in this moment as well. Um, so that makes this myth of, or this discussion of this point, quite it's actually not a myth. So it's a, it's a thing uh, that people discuss or, or that, that lives in society. And actually, this is true. Uh, suicides rise after a crisis. And, and, and that's for so many different reasons. One, it goes yeah. back to the... When when there's a recession, there's a loss of money, so there's a loss of job typically. Yes. Um, yes. Which yeah, because trans that's interesting that you know we actually we do we find that the suicides mainly rise among males uh, in middle aged males. So actually, the economic and the identity with work is 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 um, one of the main triggers um, uh, of suicides uh, rise, and you don't see too much rise among women, which is interesting. Um, and also now that the economy went better, in, at least in the Netherlands, you saw that the decline in suicide also was on the conto of the mills, of middle-aged mills. Well, you know, I wonder if uh, when there's a recession uh, with so many guys, is there like a, 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 a cranking in the background or like... Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh -oh. I, was, <laughs> I was scrolling through my... Uh, I didn't know it was amplified so much. <laughs> it was not a large Dutch rat or something. <laughs> Uh, I wonder if the reason why the, um, uh, the, the the rate doesn't increase for women during the recession is because uh, it actually could a recession could lead to an improvement uh, of lifestyle for women uh, because of so many uh, job losses. There are more job openings after. Um, could be like with this could. quarantine, there are fifty thousand like. A lot of grocery stores and storage places are hiring, like, okay. like the actually like the number of, of people hiring are, are 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 going up, and and so I would assume for like if you're a stay at home mom not making any money, this is a boost in in your life. Where like if if you're a guy who had a job, you may actually lose your job right now or mm -hmm. uh, have fewer hours. And so that you you see, uh, there's usually a rise in um, lower paying jobs or, 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 or yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. minimum wage jobs. And so those would usually go to people who weren't working and, and usually the wife is a stay at home. So then she enters the workforce. So it becomes an improvement because she feels better. Now she's contributing. Whereas the husband may see uh, a, a dip in his pay or uh, status as a result of. And then you also find that, uh, you know, a lot of your, uh, you know, like the the firemen, the first responders, like use and construction workers usually 
uh, those are men, and uh, and you know they're you know they're going to be the ones um, who are 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 going to um, you know uh, ha- have the biggest uh, lifestyle change for for different reasons. True, uh, and I think another important reason is also that the, the what we I briefly touched upon it earlier is that that males are more impulsive and more aggressive. Yes, yes. So they actually die more. So I don't know about the suicide attempts because you could imagine that that uh, uh, gives a different picture, uh, but it's also the the and the combination with alcohol um, that makes it, in a crisis situation males more vulnerable to to make this uh, step. And the interesting thing is that we, I, I looked at some literature of, after the SARS um, epidemia, epidem- um, epidemia, and then we saw that at the elderly were actually more vulnerable for suicide rise. They were responsible for that in Hong Kong. There was not an, an, an international outbreak, but it was mainly uh, in Hong Kong, it was pretty severe. And we saw that, that uh, the elderly, they felt more that they were a burden to the system, and uh, as you described earlier as well. Um, so wow. they felt more that they should not be there. They they don't. Yeah, they they are taking up too many resources. In the Netherlands, we got this discussion. I think that's also in America that like is the whole uh, um, action worth all the other uh, uh, troubles? Um, um, so the elderly feel that they're a burden on society, and uh, that could be an explanation for the rise in the elderly. Wow, that that's really interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah, because I mean, you see where where there's the doctor assisted suicides. You know, that's usually going to be uh, with your elderly population. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the impulsivity thing. You're absolutely right. I, there's a, there's a reason why um, I, so many people are surprised or caught off guard uh, when someone ends their life because they'll say things like, "But well, they were doing so well. They were so happy yeah. uh, for yeah. the past couple of weeks." and uh, that impulsivity piece uh, is a part that I don't think gets talked about enough because it, you can be doing very well, but if, if you do have that impulsivity uh, aspect, yeah. uh, it could out, out the out the clear blue, uh, uh, it could happen. Yeah, and it's also good to realize because uh, there's this discussion uh, about male suicides in the Netherlands as well. I think males are better in in living two separate lives. So they're they're doing well, but in the background they can have this vulnerability for depression or for uh, which they don't discuss openly. So there's this sidetrack, and and I think women are maybe uh, or maybe it's a stereotype, but less good at uh, um, having this parallel world nobody knows about. So then suddenly he's really suicidal, and and but actually he was he was building up over time as well. So as males, we're not so much trained to discuss our emotions. It's always that we don't cry, and we uh, we know all the stereotyping images that we get in the uh, even in the literature. I find really fascinating that the male suicides are mostly heroic, altruistic suicides, um, whereas the women are are mo- only uh, uh, more as uh, Freud describes more based on hysteria and their emotions they couldn't deal with. Um, so there's this whole cultural image of, of males and, and uh, not being open about their emotions. And um, I think that also works in these crises, that the people are more vulnerable than they actually tell. Yeah, my girlfriend, like anything that happens to her, anything going on, any <laughs> hic- she tells the world. She, she calls her girlfriends. <laughs> she calls, yeah. She tells her mom. She tells her dad. Yeah. She yells off yeah. the balcony. Yeah. She posts yeah. on Facebook, like it, it, whatever pain yeah. she's in, everybody is going to get uh, wrapped up in it. Um, 
And where I'm like, I'm gonna figure this out. I got it. You know, I, I go off. I go off on a little corner, and uh, yep. I try to manage it. And uh, and and it's true. It's like women. They rally the team. They 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 bring everybody in on this. Uh, where guys were kind of uh, conditioned to, you know, figure it out ourselves and uh, yeah. uh, pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. Yeah, and I think we don't acknowledge it for ourselves. And then when the recession hits or something really happens, then sort of this whole cascade suddenly becomes emotion and we can't stop it anymore. And I think that's that's one of those mechanisms. And we're really dealing with in the Netherlands. So how do we reach those mills? Um, because of all this this helplines we have, which are doing a great job, but they're, they're mainly uh, reaching younger females. So the actual target group for people who die by suicide do not get reached by these uh, um, helplines. But we just don't know how to, to um, engage with these males because they also don't show up for the GP or the psychiatrist. Right. Well, they just don't, they don't go to the doctor. If, oh, that, that we, we see that in the whole of medicine, not just for psychiatry. We as men don't go tend not to go to the doctor, at least not as often as women do. Well, you know, I I think part of it has to be you're absolutely right. Uh, I, you know, I I, I didn't go to the doctor for like 12 years. I didn't have medical insurance. And and now my girl has me, you know, I mean, before (laughs) she was like, you're going to the doctor for this. You're going to get checked out for that. You're going to, you know, she got me seeing a whole team of people. I actually, uh, <laughs> I actually have this line in my book as well that males mainly go to the doctor when their wife asks them to go. Yeah. <laughs> like when she is like, oh, geez, <laughs> you should go now. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> right, we're just being shoved in there for sure. <laughs> yeah, and we're going then. We're happy to be sent actually because we were worrying about it as well for oh, yeah. quite some time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, we kind of like, uh, you know, complaining that our wife is making us do it, you know. Uh, but yeah. really, inside, we wanted to go all along, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, but you know, that's interesting because I, I, I hadn't thought about, you know, the fact that, you know, we that there's the 1-800-SUICIDE uh, hotlines and all these different uh, yeah. online services. But, then how do you get them? I think part of that starts with... Uh, uh, social media and the media and movies. If if we could get yep. some of those images of of men calling uh, for help and uh, you know, I, I, because like you said, it's a socialization thing. And um, it's I remember, you know, I've told the story before, but I, I was at this uh, bar downtown. Uh, I was a uh, 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 one of the security guards there, and it was it was a rooftop bar. And this guy, he came up to me and he asked me uh, for a lighter. And I was like, I don't have a lighter, but let me help you, you know, find one. You know, and he's like, yo, man, I don't need your help. And he was so upset and so triggered by the word help. I, yeah, I yeah. couldn't believe it. Yeah. And I was like, no, nah, I, I got you. He's like, I don't need your help, man. And I was like, all right. And it just it was one of those moments that stuck with me because there's so many men and and women who struggle with asking for help who struggle yeah. with seeking assistance um because they 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 think it makes them weak or vulnerable and and you know 
And also, I can be suicidal behavior, which is also with depression. The whole thing, having to admit to yourself you're having suicidal thoughts is also a major taboo and a step and a big way. So that's also not something. So not going to the doctor for your, your toe, which is hurting, is something different than actually discussing and verbalizing that you're suicidal. Become, because then it becomes actually true. You know, so then it actually affects and then you cannot go back anymore. So that also makes it really difficult uh, also for doctors to get an, uh, an, an honest answer from patients. Um, just having to imagine to go to your doctor and have to say you have suicidal thoughts. It really depends on, on the, the rapport you have with your doctor before you would open up to somebody about such a private thing. Absolutely. I mean, because, you know, the images I grew up with uh, regarding like psychiatric institutions are you yeah. go in and, and and you say, I'm feeling a little depressed. And all of a sudden, like, you know, three big <laughs> black dudes grab you and throw you in a straitjacket. And then you, yeah. you can't talk to your family for two years. And, and then it's yeah. on your record, you know. And yeah. and I think yeah. a lot yeah. of people still yeah. have that image of, of mental health and psychiatric uh, institutions. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, that's... That was my luck, actually. Well, I, I grew up in a psychiatric institution, which sounds a bit weird, of course, if I say that. But my dad was a doctor on the terrain. And then in the Netherlands, you had uh, um, you got a house in the 80s. So so he, he lived on the on the psychiatric ward or hospital. Uh, um, um, so there, that's why psychiatry was always in our vocabulary and a normal thing to discuss about. Um, but it's not a normal situation to grow up with. I've actually been in therapy for my whole year, uh, whole life with uh, my dad as a psychiatrist. Um, wow yeah <laughs> what i mean uh Al, what what has he diagnosed you with yeah you with know. everything no actually he was, <laughs> he was and you know he was not like but we were just really open about discussing mental health it was just a normal thing to discuss and then later i just realized oh that's not so normal actually to discuss it with people and um that's also my drive to to make mental health accessible for people because it's so nice to be open to discuss it and um it's i just see people struggle with it and it would be so uh, um helpful if they get rid of this image indeed what you just said of a ward which you enter and you just your life is over after you enter yeah um, you know one of the that's, things that's a difficult stigma to 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 battle absolutely because even for me you know to when i thought about starting this podcast and having this conversation with friends and, and, and colleagues. And I was like, wow, my, are my friends going to want to hang out with me? Or, or, or cause you know, yeah. I, there's also that fear of like, cause I was like, or, you know, you could see, you could see their body language change in some of them. And, um, mm-hmm. uh, like it's contagious, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. it's like, like it's COVID-19 or something. Like if I cough, all of a sudden <laughs> they're going to start thinking suicidal, yeah. uh, thoughts yeah. and, and for people who've never really had it and 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 don't understand it, um, uh, it's it's hard for them to 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 um, to to understand it and and to be around. Yeah. But I found that after the initial shock from some of them, um, there that they slowly where they were like, "Oh, okay, he's still functioning. He's good. Like it's not." I, I think people don't want to be around someone who. Uh, is just sad all the time or like is woe is me. And I think that yeah. once people see that it's not a woe is me kind of thing, um, 24 seven, um, then they, they go, Oh, okay. I could, we could still like, you're still like a, a person. You, I could still hang yeah. around with you. <laughs> 
Yeah, but yeah, we, if you have cancer, you just say that, and people are like, oh, that's so bad for you, and how can I help, and, and everything. But if you, with, with, people are just scared of psychiatry, and it's also we don't just know so much about psychiatry, and also people are afraid that you're unpredictable, and um, 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 and I think it's actually good just to to un- I mean it's understandable that people have that. Um, cancer is much more uh, um, in the news and discussed than than psychiatry. Uh, so I think we have to be lenient uh, uh, on those people as well. And just well, via these podcasts or via education, you can just help them uh, realize uh, that what you said, you just, you, you, you're still a person. Absolutely. Um, you just have this thing. Yeah, well. And, and you know, and, and, and you bring up a good point because as, as much as we want people to be understanding and empathetic towards, uh, uh, you know, how we feel and what we're thinking, we also have to be empathetic towards uh, what they're thinking and how they feel and how they perceive yeah. it. So to give each, to have compassion for each other and give each other space uh, yeah. to learn about it. Cause we're both, we're all still, you know, psychiatry and psychology is still a very young field and, um, yeah. and mental health and studying it is something that um, uh, we're, we're all still, it's still evolving. Yeah. 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 We're just at the beginning of it, of trying to understand the whole thing. You know, uh, I want to go back to the impulsivity uh, piece because I feel like that's that's one of those aspects that's not talked about as much, and it's it's also why you know I meditate every day um, mm-hmm. for at least twenty minutes because you know uh, I listen to like Yuval Harari uh, who wrote Sapiens and Homo Deus, yeah. and and he and he talks about like the quarantine, but just life in general, and saying. You know, the, the two most important things you can learn and study uh, uh, is like how to be calm and e- emotional intelligence. Um, and I, I prescribe to that. That way, like no matter what's going on around you, whether it's a quarantine or a recession, uh, like if, if you learn how to calm your mind and manage your emotions, then you can exist in any situation. Um, and, and, and so like, I realize in myself, the impulsivity piece that I have, and, and if you let that build up, it can catch you off guard. And so meditation for me has been a way of, of mitigating that. So I guess my question to you is, um, how do you have a daily routine of things that you do for your, uh, to, for your mental health? What what mainly helps me is that I have young kids um, um, who take up so much um, focus that that that's putting you off all other uh, worries and all. Um, and I also um, find a lot of uh, comfort in music and in uh, literature. So just reading and um, having other things and expressing your emotions via guitar that's just, that's what what helps me uh, the best. Uh, and also, which I didn't do for years, but since I think in the year of five or something, I've been uh, actually regular sporting, which is embarrassing to say that I've just been doing that. But And that really helps. I mean, it's a no-brainer, but I mean, I just uh, uh, went on playing the guitar and being in bands and I skipped the whole sporting thing. But that's really something that, that helps for your mental health. You said sporting. What, what sport are you playing? Rugby? Uh, <laughs> no, actually, I actually did uh, some years of Kung Fu. 
which I loved. Um, but then the time schedule got difficult. So I just went on uh, swimming. So just uh, a free swimming uh, and swimming outside. Uh, and But I took lessons as well, so to be a better swimmer. Uh, and that really uh, helps me to uh, keep off. But now every swimming pool is closed. So <laughs> that's gone. Right, right. Now, you know, having your dad, um, you know, uh, grow up uh, in the mental health realm, did, yeah. what, how do you feel about uh, prescriptions, like medications? Well, I think I'm, I'm, I'm then actually the, the, the dad of a psychiatrist, the, 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 the father, of, so Jesus, the son of a psychiatrist. So I'm actually quite positive about medication. If it works, it works. Um, and and for, for a lot of people, we see it works. The, the big problem is we don't know for who it works and for who it doesn't work. So it can be, it's, it, it still feels, and that really surprises me, like a lucky gamble. Um, I asked my dad, so how do you decide which kind of antidepressants you prescribe? And he doesn't actually read, he just says, well, I have some experience over the years with some education. And I'm like, is that it? And then I asked psychiatrists who've been trained 10 years later, and they say, no, I never use uh, uh, um, paroxetine. I always use this because I have some, so, yeah, it's, the, the science is really diff difficult behind it. Um, so I'm not I'm 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 positive about it, but I also find it difficult because it's so. Um, we know on a group level it works, but we just don't know if it will work for you or for me. So that's so difficult about it. Uh, yeah, because uh, they and and the other part is it takes a few weeks before it even kicks in. Yeah, and uh, we oh, oh, yeah we have no idea why it is, which is also weird. Um, um, so we just don't know what we're doing. Uh, people can actually sometimes get more agitated and they become more suicidal in the first weeks. Um, so it's, 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 uh, it's a, it, yeah, it's something you need to be quite careful with and you need to be under uh, good monitoring if you start using antidepressants. Um, I, I feel like I'm talking to my doppelganger because I too am taking guitar <laughs> lessons. Uh, I, I started reading, you know what I found and tell me, uh, how you feel about this. Uh, I started reading more novels. I used to read yeah. uh, self-help books, but I oh, found yeah. that reading novels are more calming than reading yeah. self-help books. What kind of books yeah. are you reading? Well, I actually try to read uh, everything I can get my hands on. I love this book like Harari, so this more scientific, broader, uh, popular-based books. Uh, also about physics. So, um, I mean, the universe and quantum mechanics and just some popular science. I love that as well. But I also love reading novels. Um, uh, I read a lot of Philip Roth, uh, which is also, of course, psychological novels. Um, so, actually, um, I don't read too much self-help, actually. I, no, I don't... Um, I'm only mostly interested in... I, I'm mostly interested in realistic novels, then. I don't like too much fantasy. Um, so I have this genre uh, I am in, but I find it. Re and I'm reading um, uh, the book about the CEO of Disney, who wrote this uh, this book about uh, how he experienced his whole ride he had. And I just find these stories really interesting, life stories about real people. Oh, uh, what was that, Iger? Um, I yeah, love the Great yeah, Life actually, or yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah. Actually, my brother advised it to me because he's uh, doing this management thing uh, with the television broad shows, and he said it was really good. Um, and I just started it. And I just like these ideas and, and learning about people. And you see that life, because normally you just look at the end of somebody's life and say, oh, he's successful. Uh, and you never see the whole struggle, which life is for everybody. It doesn't matter who you are. Uh, so it's, I always like reading these biographies. Uh, you said, how many kids do you have? Two or three? Uh, two. And are there, are there things that uh, you are intentionally 
trying to instill in them or, or like thought patterns or ways of managing their emotions. There's so many people who are quarantined with their kids and, and now really have to parent. Um, yeah. yeah, are yeah, there, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like when your kids are upset, let's, let's go there. Well, they're upset. They don't want to do something. How are you yeah. uh, talking them through that? Well, I think the most thing I'm trying to do is trying to stay positive all the time. So I, I don't try to make it too much of a doom scenario or there's, there's not the luxury to really ruminate now too much in front of the kids. So I try to keep an up face, but I try to be honest as well with them. Uh, about the whole situation um, um, and I think th- what I find really interesting because the things I really like like reading a lot and also st- I liked computer programming when I was a kid and my son has no interest in that at all <laughs> but that's really interesting because it, it gives you a mirror like I think that this will make him happy and I offered some of these things and then he finds his own way so he's his own person already and he likes soccer a lot and he's really good at it much better than I ever was um, so I try to really um, um, be positive and supportive uh, in anything they are uh, up to. Um, yeah, but it's it's and actually they they are okay with this whole situation. They're eight and nine, so they're actually quite happy that they get all the attention from their parents because normally we've been, we've just been working and they're getting to daycare and those things. Um, so for them, it's been okay actually now. Oh, that's yeah, eight and nine. That's such a great age. And it's, it's really nice. Are, yeah. Now, yeah. are they able to? Um, I mean, you know, there's so I at that age, and you have two boys. They're so active. Are they able to actually, like, you know, get that <laughs> that energy out or? Yeah, well, that's why I have a girl and a boy, so it's oh. nice to see the difference between the two. And and yeah, the, the boy just needs to get out, uh, so he he just starts with his homework. He's very strict on that. Uh, but after three hours, he's completely done, and he just wants to get out and play soccer and, and move. And, uh, and in the Netherlands, we can still go out. There's not a complete deadlock. Uh, how do you call it? Lockdown. Um, um, but, but and and the girl, she just likes to be inside and likes to read books and likes to play around in her own fantasy world. So that's a real difference there. Fantastic. And now, is there you know the research from your book? And uh, are there anything? Is there anything that we haven't covered? That, that you discovered uh, during with this research? I think the, the, the so, ne- so besides all the myths I discussed, the, I think the, one of the most important things is actually that we don't know so much. Um, so the science and doing research and actually even the registration of suicides is difficult per country. A lot of countries do not really rec- uh, register their suicides well, so they don't have the good rates in their country. Uh, so uh, I think that's the main thing. So always keep an open mind and any research claim that you see, like we can stop suicide or this works really well. You always have to be a bit like, oh, well, it could be, but it's it's difficult to make causal claims about suicidal behavior. There was this whole discussion about the Netflix documentary, 13 Reasons Why, um, and quite some popular page, uh, papers about that, which say that, that the series caused more suicides but it's really difficult to actually cause or tell if it's because of the series. And that's what the book also is about, about how to reflect on science and uh, things we know about this. Yeah, because there, there's so many other things going on in society and in the world. That's that, it. That's it. Right. Because uh, uh, if a celebrity, um, there's a spike when there's a celebrity suicide or, yeah. uh, you know, like you said, a recession. There's also um, uh there's also a link to uh, uh, the weather 
like so like when when yeah, there's true. a spike yeah. in in yeah. the spring i believe yeah that's also uh, one of the thing i discuss oh like yeah the, can, the, can like you talk about the that? people people mostly say that that the most suicides are around december and the christmas holidays uh, and that's really a myth. So we find in all the literature that actually the peak is always in the spring in every in almost every country around the world, uh, which is for partly also weather uh, due to the weather. And that's a, a bit same as the antidepressants work is that the the sunlight reacts with your uh, biochemicals, but then you get more impulsive in the beginning, but your mood doesn't get better at the start. And that's actually when people uh, become more um, impulsive and aggressive. And also, it's it's the other theory is that it's the broken promise effect that uh, everybody is making a new start with the spring, but you don't feel that this year is going to be any better than the last year, and you're not ready for another year where everybody's happy and you are not. And this contrast gets bigger uh, in spring. What now? Can can we go? I, can, I want to unpack these just a little bit yeah. uh, because we are in April and we are at the yeah. starting with yeah. spring, and, and so this is really relevant uh, now. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that sunlight and, and chemical effect? Yeah, well, they they did quite uh, some studies. It's been quite well researched on how the number of sunlight and sunlight intensity affects suicidal behavior. And so mainly it works as an antidepressant uh, sunlight because people do feel better. But in the beginning, it's the idea is that people uh, don't feel better automatically, immediately, just like with antidepressants. It takes some time for the antidepressants mood of sunlight to kick in, but you do feel more agitated uh, uh, and more energetic to do things. So this can be a lethal combination. If you feel more energetic, but your mood has not improved, uh, that's one of the hypotheses is that actually this um, um, uh, we're, uh, th this is one of the explanations of the peak in spring. Uh, and another one would be that you actually find more aggressive suicides if there are more uh, sun hours. So there's some relationship between, uh, again, aggressive aggressiveness, uh, impulsivity uh, and sunlight and suicidal behavior. And, you know, the part of that is linked to sleep cycle because uh, when spring hits there, uh, you actually require uh, less sleep because the sun is coming up uh, soon yeah. and is going down earlier. So uh, part of it's linked to a disruption in your circadian rhythm. So, you know, when we talk about routine, we're not just talking about your daily routine, but also your sleep routine. And so that disruption to your sleep cycle uh, is one of the uh, uh, alleged uh, triggering effects of, of impulsivity. Like you said, like you have more energy, yeah. there's more sunlight. And so you feel like you should be doing more and it, and it causes this... Um, like you said, a frustration. And I like that. I've never heard the, uh, the broken promise effect. I've never heard that before. No, it's interesting. It's an interesting idea also that, that you have this broken promise that the new year will bring a new solution. And then uh, in spring, you find out that actually the new year is the same as the old year. Uh, that's the whole idea. We even see it on a micro level in the week. So we see the most suicides happening on a Monday. And in countries where Sunday is the first workday, we see the most suicides on the Sunday. So people don't like to go to work. <laughs> right, right. It's that Sunday blues. And, and so it's uh, Sunday. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that uh, I when I'm coaching clients, I always encourage them to do is to at the end of their day, explore how either how they got one percent better 
or one thing that they're grateful for uh, from the day specifically. And, and the yep. reason for that is uh, the research also shows that especially people who are depressed uh, and struggling with suicidality, they have short-term memory problems. And yep. the hippocampus, yep. when people say my mind's playing tricks on me, it is playing tricks on you yep. because your hippocampus uh, has a thing where it loves to remember all the horrible things and, and negative things. And it loves to forget all the wonderful things and, and, and amazing things that have happened to you. And yep. so that's why gratitude journal is so valuable because it, it encourages you and, and, and triggers your, your prefrontal cortex, which is your, the thinking part of your brain, uh, but also triggers your memory of those happy thoughts so that uh, as you're going through spring and you're like, well, this year is the same as last year. It's not because if you really took the time to think about how your life has changed for the better and what's improved and, and what's grown, then you'd be like, oh, wait a minute, I, I'm a little bit. And uh, I got that from my father, actually. I remember mm -hmm. when I turned nine and uh, my father, you know, he, he wasn't around physically uh, too much. But uh, when he called me on my birthday, he said, uh, hey, son, you know, how are you feeling? I was like, oh, I feel the same. And he goes <laughs> and, and he said, no, he said, every birthday you should take time to, to ask yourself and think about how your life has gotten better. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's something that has always yeah. stuck with me, and and not just to do it on a yearly basis, uh, but to do it on a daily basis of like what has gotten better today, or at least what made me happy or smile, or what was the highlight of my day. Um, and so for for people who are who are struggling uh, during this time, it, this is really the time of. To, to double down on, on self-reflecting and, yeah. and to deepen your practice of, you know, I, I was just meditating for a, a few minutes a day. And now I'm like, you know, with this quarantine, I have more time. I can do, I meditate in the morning now and then I meditate before bed. So I, I'm looking at it as a time to deepen yeah. my practice. I don't know, are you looking at it as the same way? Well, uh, I'm looking at it, but I, I have some difficulty now in my time schedule with this new job and this book release and the kids. So um, I definitely uh, like the fact that everything slowed down and it makes you much more appreciate the life that we had and also see how ridiculously um, we were actually uh, just moving on all these things. Um, but I do find, I do, I do. Uh, um, uh, try to be grateful for everything we have and also that's that's yeah something i had to learn myself as well over time and it's also not so weird if you realize why we are so focused on the negative because from an evolutionary perspective it's important because or else if you don't remember those bad things you will die and you cannot reproduce and so it's a whole evolutionary mechanism which is quite strong so it needs quite some practice like you do every day to really uh, challenge that uh, really basic intuition that we have to mainly remember the negative things absolutely and and, and with those uh negative uh uh situations you know because we we also don't want to walk around with like uh rose co colored covered glasses no. or, or rose colored glasses um but with those negative situations, that's an opportunity for you to to then look at what are the lessons learned 
from that? What what or what are the opportunities from the this challenge of being quarantined uh, that presents yeah. itself? And and that you know that's not going to come to you overnight, and it's not may not may not come to you in a week. But if you sit with those questions on a daily basis, um, then over time you you'll you'll start to find the answer. Yeah, and especially now what you say that I think so. So, so mental uh, hygiene is really important in these times. I mean, if you're just inside with your, and the situation is so tough, and you get all the bad news every day, you really need to take care of your mental health as well. Absolutely. Uh, I, I just read this book, uh, the neuroscience of depression, and it, it there's a part in the book, and I thought this was really fascinating, where he, he talked about um, habits. And yeah. a lot of times, like, you know, whether you, you uh, drinking, smoking, food, things, especially like right now, people are snacking a lot and, and eating yeah, yeah, more than yeah, they usually yeah, do. Yeah. And he said yeah. one of the things to help reduce your addiction and, and to reduce the, the bad habits is to remind yourself of uh, what, a, what a good person you, you are and have been. Uh, he has five <coughs> questions. And I might put this in a separate, uh, shorter episode for people. But yeah. as I as I read, it, I was like, "Wow, this is really powerful." Um, so to ask yourself: One, have you ever uh, forgiven someone who has wronged you? Two, have you ever been considerate of another person's feelings? Three, have you ever given money and items to someone who was less fortunate than you? Four. Have you cheered someone up who has had a bad day? And five, have you ever encouraged a friend to pursue a goal? And 99% of people can answer yes to those questions. And and what that does is it releases dopamine and serotonin in the body. It makes you feel good about yourself. So then it actually then motivates you to then pr- pursue whatever goal or, or, or positive habits uh, that you have. And it's, it's something that uh, I've written down and uh, put in my journal and uh, I, I refer back to it to remind myself, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty good person, you know, uh, most of the time, yes. uh, you know, <laughs> sometimes I don't do the dishes, but you know, well, you try to do the best you can. That's it. We're, We're not all doing the best. Right. Absolutely. We're human after all. Yeah, I, right. And and I think, um, you know, and, and that's the other thing that the research shows is, you know, when we're feeling like a, a burden and we're feeling um, alone, we tend to highlight our the, our our negatives. And then we think that everyone else uh, is just walking around with all these positives. It's like everybody else is yeah. great and thriving. Yeah. And yeah. here we are uh, with all our problems and issues and, yeah. and nobody else has that. And yeah. uh, but it goes back to why I love reading novels, because yeah, you get yeah, to see it's a reminder yeah. that how complex yeah. we are. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, that's I read this thing where it's called from the school of life, which is some Ellen de Botton started that. And they said, well, life is so complex. And as a person, you're so complex and the dialogues we have every day are so superficial, not because it's uh, uh, because just because we're so complex. You just can't, uh, except when you're in therapy, you can have all this complexity. But novels really help you or biographies to understand the complexity. So art is really important 
to uh, that's why you always read something or listen to music like oh they feel just like i do and that's because they touch on this higher complexity level which you normally can't find in your daily contact even with your partner uh, absolutely you know uh, it's so hard to get to the complexity of of uh, uh, let me ask you this are there questions or um conversations that you intentionally have with your wife to kind of get to the complexity of of a of a situation yeah well i think more than 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 other people because i'm just more used to it but still not enough as i would want to if you have this daily uh day-to-day course of being a father and a wife and and running a household got it so you yeah. tend to forget that something like, oh shit i should pay attention to that as well and that's something <laughs> just because you're like you're running a business together you just uh yeah uh, and then, but even with this Corona crisis, you need to discuss it. Like, how does it impact your feeling? And uh, we just had this discussion this morning. So that's three weeks into the Corona crisis. So a bit late, I must say. Uh, so, as how are you feeling? How are your feelings different than your wife's feelings at this moment? Well, for her, it's difficult because she she works for herself and uh, sees her uh, work dry out. And then my work is now the, the, the most thing running than the family with financial things. So I'm really busy trying to keep that uh, uh, afloat, and, and meaning that she has to uh, can work less and can uh, spend less time on individual development. Um, and I we, that takes some time to acknowledge those feelings. That's really important. And be, but you're you're both trying to keep your head up. So I'm trying to get into this job, which is just a month old. And uh, she's trying to. Uh, everybody's dealing with this situation first on your own individual level, and then you have to find each other and how you deal with this and see how it connects. I, I love how you said that. Uh, everybody's trying to deal with it on an individual, and then uh, figure out uh, how how to how it deals how it impacts the family. Yeah. And then how do you how do you connect that? Um, is there anything else that we that you discovered in the book that we haven't discussed that you feel like people need to know? Well, I think we we, we discussed quite a lot in this hour. Um, so yeah, I, I hope to get a translation of the book in English. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> you can run it through Google Translate and see how it works. <laughs> oh, you get that. oh yeah, yeah, you can do that. And and then in general, <laughs> in terms of you know, like you grew, you grew up with a psychologist uh, father, and uh, is there um, is is there something that you you learned in in therapy and stuff that you want your kids to 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 know and and learn and take with them? Well, the main thing I would say to my uh, uh, younger self is, don't worry so much; everything will be fine. Right. That's but that's nothing I learned from my. That's more <laughs> something I just realized later when I'm now around forty. It's like, what the hell was I worrying about when I was in my teenage years? Um, so that's the thing I would just, uh, but that's not from a psychiatric uh, theory or something. Right. Uh, but the whole thing can be so overwhelming when you're young in life and everything. And then when you get older, that's what I like about getting older. It's all, you calm down a bit if you're, at least if you're lucky, you just, yeah, you, uh, you find some peace in that. Uh, how do you manage the feeling of overwhelm? When you feel overwhelmed, what? What's your strategy for handling that? That's a good question. Um, because normally I just realize it afterwards. So if things are too much and then I just go on and get a bit grumpy. And then afterwards, like, oh, shit, I've been grumpy. There was, I think there's been too much on my plate now. 
and then after but so yeah it's difficult to find to, to when you're in the middle of the storm it's difficult to realize that i find it's so true yesterday i was super grumpy with my girlfriend and, <laughs> but i knew the sources because i hadn't slept i i was it was a yeah. very long i had to get up at like 4 30 and i uh, had a very long day I, i'm actually busier with this quarantine uh no, before and yeah. uh, and i just kept saying to her i was like listen I, I didn't get a good night's sleep i'm super grumpy i feel it i'm irritable so i'm just apologizing in advance for yeah. uh my behavior and anything that i say and my energy so uh, and fortunately, she was understanding and, and gave me the appropriate space. So we yeah. went through that. But that's the importance of awareness, of being aware, because I could have easily have, have thought that she was the source of my irritation or, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, you yeah, could yeah. you could project it or, or, the kids. or the kids or the work yeah. or something else and not yeah. realizing, oh, I just, you know, only got four hours of sleep the night yeah. before. And that affects my mood and, and thoughts and, yeah. and emotions. So. Yeah. Uh, take your yeah. sleep very, very seriously. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's also what I also when you're tired, don't make any big decisions or don't think too much about life, because if you just sleep, you're like, oh, it feels better already. All right. And, and that goes to food, too. It's like if you're tired, it's like, are you yeah. are you hungry or are you stressed? <laughs> you know, or are you sleepy? Yeah. You know, yeah. you go. <laughs> it's so simple. Actually. It's so simple. Actually. <laughs> What's your favorite Philip Roth book? Um, the one that hit me most, because that's the one I read when I was visiting a friend in New York, and it was the whole combination of being in New York for the first time in my life. And then, so I then I read the um, American Pastoral, where he has this daughter, which then goes into being into a radical terrorist, and and that's such a good book. And he's so good in in pinpointing human emotions. I but, love uh, it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, so one of the, my favorites. You know, I'm glad you said pinpointing uh, human emotions. Uh, me and my girl, we've been watching Ozark. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I saw I saw only the three of them. Yeah. And so what we what we do when we watch it is uh, we pause it when they argue, and we try to point out the emotions <laughs> that yeah. they're experiencing uh, in the moment, so that we can get better at identifying our emotions in the moment. And, and wow. So you're it. even using your binge watching to optimize yourself. That's really something that's uh, <laughs> well, well, yeah, because well, now it's taking us like uh, a month yeah. to watch one episode. Because yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> it's like studying yeah, game tape. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Derek. And, and now they made a season two, right? So shit, uh, you're, well, you're they have, for right. Yeah. They have, uh, they have three seasons, uh, Oh, three seasons. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but we're. But I saw the first two. She hasn't seen any of. So we started with season okay. one. We just finished that. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So now we're gonna work our way to season two. Uh, she, oh, she, yeah. She's looking at me and nodding her head very uh, vigorously. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, Derek, plug all your things. Where can people? What's the next thing that you're working on? Like, you know, you've written this book. I know right now you're you're probably promoting it and trying to get it translated. But um, where where would you like to see the research go from here? What I'm really interested in is I have this fellowship for that as well. Is to really more study uh, um, the the whole complexity of suicidal behavior, and that comes from the field of ec ecology. Um, so the studying of lakes and and uh, the weather. Um, and the whole thing that you have complex dynamical systems. So, so mainly we study uh, psychiatry as a thing which is stable 
and you're just depressed and this is your score and we don't see the whole dynamics of, of symptoms interacting with each other uh, and I'm trying to, to in this fellowship uh, understand that better and that's what I found really fascinating so you get individual dynamical models so not just on a group level uh, but that's, that's maybe the topic of a whole different uh, um, podcast. I yeah, guess. we're definitely going to have you back on. Because it's really fascinating. It's a fascinating field. Really complicated, um, really multidisciplinary with all uh, mathematicians, computer scientists, and ecologists. Um, it's really cool. It's so fascinating Yeah, because there's actually a field of uh, uh, therapists called ecotherapy. Uh, because there's so many people who have anxiety around climate change. So it's it's really big up in, uh, in Oregon. And so ecotherapy is kind of, uh, starting to explode. Uh, there's going to be quarantine there. I mean, it's, 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 it's a, it is a fascinating field. I'm 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 excited by your work. Um, and so where can people get your book right now? So people get it uh, uh, via Dutch. Uh, <laughs> sorry. So there's, we have this Dutch Amazon. It's called Bol.com. <laughs> and there you can get it. Uh, so it's not a – yeah, we, they can find literature um, um, if they're interested. And some of the papers are also readable. Well, mostly are scientific papers, actually, I must say. Um um, but there, 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 there are plenty of good books. Actually, more popular science books, also uh, um, in English. I, I love the one from Thomas Joyner, a professor, and he wrote the book "Why People Die by Suicide." Yeah, which is about this being uh, trapped and uh, being a burden to others. And there's this brilliant book about Matt Haig. He says reasons for living, uh, which I would recommend before, uh, until my book uh, comes into English to read. I love that. Oh yeah, reasons to stay alive by Matt. Oh, stay alive. Hay. Sorry, sorry. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I love that book also because it gives such an honest uh, insight in somebody's struggle. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you for being on the episode. Um, and I ask this of all my po- of all my podcast guests uh, because I feel like there's always one person who may be listening in who's on a on a cusp of. Uh, ending their life and Mm -hmm. before you kill yourself what would you say to that person uh yeah well it's been said i think before but please discuss it with somebody you're not alone and uh um, really talking helps absolutely discuss it with someone really talking helps it sounds like it's such simple uh it's yeah um it's like a a simple uh, prescription but it works and it's effective and, and the research backs it and the experiences uh, of myself back it. Do you have you um, have you yourself struggled with suicidality at any point or? No, no, luckily not. So so I, I mean, I do for sometimes feel life uh, like I'm, what the hell are we doing here on Earth? Right. Uh, so I have those more metaphysical questions, but not really suicidal. No. Gotcha. Luckily yeah. not. Well, I, I think Elon Musk is thinking too. Like, what the hell are we doing here on Earth? So you're, you're not alone. He's trying to get us. Out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Him, Jeff Bezos, they're, they're all trying to get us. They're all like, what the hell are we still doing here on Earth? <laughs> uh, Derek, thank you for being a part of this. Thank you, listeners, for listening in. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for going to get help for calling a one eight hundred suicide number or going to the international suicide. 
uh, uh, prevention website to figure out uh, what uh, resources are in your neighborhood um, or in your country. I said neighborhood. And if you need one-on-one coaching, go to thrivewithleo.com, thrivewithleo.com, and we can help get you through those uh, feelings of aloneness, uh, feeling like a burden and or any trauma. Thank you so much, and we will talk to you soon.